Welcome to Occupations, the podcast, where we discuss what it's like to hold specific jobs. Occupations is brought to you by LotsOfMaps.com, where you fulfill your vintage map gifting needs. Visit LotsOfMaps.com. Hi, this is Andy Jagalanza. Welcome to Occupations, the podcast. Uh, today we're visited by Ken Krilla. Hey. Ken, how are you? I'm doing very well, thanks. Ken's specialty, now this is the first one we've done where uh, it's not a full-time job. Ken is an expert, I would call him, at volunteerism and uh, charitable work uh, and giving of himself. I, I, You know, everyone seems to do a little bit of charity work here and there or does a little bit of uh, fundraising, maybe does a walk or something like that. But Ken is unlike anybody I know. He, uh, he's constantly doing something for other people, sometimes to raise funds, sometimes to just help out. He just never stops. And, uh, I would almost call him an expert at it. And so I figured let's get him on here and see what makes him tick. Ken, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. So Ken, I wonder what kind of got you into volunteerism in the first place. Um, it, you know, Andy, I'd, I'd say, I mean, yes, thank you for all the, the uh, beautiful things you've said about me. Um, I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything different. This is just who I am. So it's not a huge effort for me. It started, I think, you know, I, most people who know me know that I was diagnosed as diabetic as seven uh, when I was seven years old. Soon after that, you know, I was a kid. Um, we had skate-a-thons. We did things to raise money for juvenile diabetes, and they were all fun. And my parents brought me to those, and, and you know, we'd go around kind of the guilt factor, knock on neighbor's doors. That happened, and they were fun, and then, you know, got into a little bit older and got to high school, and that's really where it picked up. I had a friend in high school, and it was our senior year at my school in New Jersey, Del Barton, that a friend said, hey, we're going to do Habitat for Humanity. Who wants to help? Well, I had no idea what that was, but, you know, like eight of us showed up, and, you know, we had the, the luxury of, you know, knocking down a house. So it wasn't like building. It wasn't like the hard, you know, um, talented stuff. It was like, hey, here's a sledgehammer. Here's a crowbar. And like we just ripped, ripped that. We like filled up a dumpster within like two hours because we were just high school guys who were like raging, like this is awesome. So that got me really excited. Like, and we felt good. And, and I kind of left that being on a helper's high. That was what I feel is the impetus to helping others and doing things that make me feel good. I don't know if it's selfish or not. Like I feel like when I help others, it makes me feel really good. So if that's the case, that's the case. So every time you volunteer, you tear something down? Is that? I've been doing that. Yeah, you're in, you're in. You're in. <laughs> okay. You know, I've known you for, for many years, and you're always up to something to help others. Now, it may just be uh, me calling you and saying, hey, Ken, you need to ri- rip the ceiling down in my kitchen. Come over and do it. <laughs> we, need, we need to do a podcast by tomorrow. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. But most of the stuff that you do is, uh, is charitable. I know you're a member of the Lions of Belmont, and uh, I know you guys are constantly doing things to raise funds, including, uh, tell me about the Christmas tree sales. That's your biggest uh, fundraiser, I know, and it's, uh, I know you do a ton of physical labor. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the Lions Club uh, in Belmont has been around for 75 years. And I stumbled upon it. I went to buy a Christmas tree there prior to being a member. And uh, one of the fellows there had invited me in. Uh, it's an old train station if you ever get a chance to check it out um, in Belmont. And I went, I was curious what the building was. So he brought me in. I was like, wow, this place is great. And uh, there were just a bunch of other guys who were like trying to do good things. And I quickly said, wow, this, this is great. I just moved to the town, so I didn't know anything in Belmont. I thought this is a great place to find out the best mechanic 
the best dry cleaner, the best pizza place. And these guys were you know, mostly townies. Enjoyed that. Found out that we sell Christmas trees in the winter, and we do it right after Thanksgiving, and we sell you know, over 2,000 trees. So we're all volunteers. It's pretty cool to see a lot of the customers you know, year in, year out, as well as people coming back because this was their tradition. Uh, the trees have been sold for, I think, close to 60 years. So, and it is, as you said, it's a fundraiser. So we're, it's a fundraiser, but it's also, you know, it's a social event for us. We get to see 2,000 plus families buying their tree. I don't know how it happens, but everyone gets their perfect tree and like, that's pretty cool. So um, we've had some, you know, some great encounters with some famous local people. Um, Andy and his wife have come and bought trees from us several years. So uh, that's cool. But it is, it is cool because people like you and people come from farther away just to get a tree from us when you could do it really locally to your own place. But I think people enjoy what we do. We're all pretty energetic for, you know, being out there six, six hours on a weekend or something like that. So, um, but yeah, so that's, that's a, one of, one of the instances of me helping other people, I think. How does the Lions spend their money? Uh, what do they do with their funds? Yeah. So, um, the Lions in general are for, they were chartered with helping out, uh, to cure blindness from Helen Keller had kind of knocked on the door, if you will, back at the world fair in Chicago and said, Hey, you know, why don't you guys become the Knights of the Blind? So they've been raising funds for eye care now, uh, so sight as well as hearing, and they've done some marvelous things even here locally in, in Massachusetts with the Mass Eye and Ear uh, Hospital. Some of the research they've done and been able to do because of our funding has been remarkable. And it's not just Belmont. It's all of Massachusetts. And the Lions Club around the world, largest service organization around the world. So I know you were doing uh, annually uh, Polar Plunge. And I know you were changing charities every year. So 1st of January, you were out on uh, in Southie at uh, L Street, plunging in the water, frigid temperatures, sometimes warm, yeah. uh, sometimes completely frozen over. And I know you've been doing that for many years. How, how did you get involved in that part of the charitable stuff? Interestingly, uh, we, you and I have some similar friends. And um, so the common friendship was through some fellows that were trying to help out an additional friend, a third-party friend, and uh, we had we had done that to try to help out uh, Camp Sunshine, a, a wonderful camp up in Maine. Check that out if you can. And someone asked me if I wanted to do it, and without any hesitation, the answer was yes. Like, okay, sure. And the first couple of years, you know, I raised a couple hundred dollars because I just asked some friends, and it was mostly the camaraderie of doing it with other people. Sure, it sounded crazy, but like, okay, sure. I mean, whatever. I it, it didn't stop me from doing my standard thing on New Year's Eve, which for good or for bad, you know, you've been part of those. So <laughs> we don't need to go into those details. But, you know, I'd be up quite late, quite early in the morning on January 1st and then stroll over to uh, the L Street bathhouse. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of really crazy people are doing it. I think it made me feel a little bit better because we were doing it for a charity rather than just plunging. Those guys are nuts. And it became just something I was doing. And after about um, nine years or so, the, the other fellows that I had done it with Kind of like, hey, we've, we've done it nine years. That's cool. And I was like, well, I'm still willing to be crazy. Let, let me go in. And so it became a thing, I suppose. And this year would have been the 20th year. I, I was not able to do it because I was traveling. But uh, yeah, so I've been doing it every year and I change the charities around every year. After that ninth year, I've been changing it so that to help out other local charities and just raising funds, but also raising awareness. And I think that's a very, very important thing when helping out a nonprofit or helping out others is to raise the awareness rather than just the funds. And what does raising the awareness really do for them? Well, it allows the nonprofit to be better identified to the audience, but also it allows my friends, their friends, 
to become aware of something that there could be an opportunity out there that they could be benefit uh, a benefit of or beneficiary of. With Alliance Club, we do a lot of local charities as well help out. So it's things like that that the money is great, but raising the awareness of what a service that's there, I think is, I don't say more important, but it's it's of equal importance as the funds. So uh, I don't know if you remember all the charities you've done, but you must remember some of them. Can you name a, a few that you've you've worked with? Yeah, sure. Uh, there was a great one called Birthday Wishes, which um, is fairly local here to, to you guys. They have a birthday party for children that uh, sadly are, are homeless or are in you know different situations that might not have a home to have a birthday party. That was kind of cool. Most of the charities I work with are for children-focused. One that was not children-focused was a, a charity called A Leg Forever. A family up in Stoneham, two brothers had both sadly lost a leg during the Boston Marathon bombing uh, way back when, and both of these uh, gentlemen have, have done so remarkably well um, in their recoveries. But the mother had identified that the Boston One Fund had helped out, and had she not had the Boston One Fund, it would have been remarkably difficult. So she has a charity that's helping people that lose like a leg unexpectedly because it's not something that you really kind of plan for. I've done Urban Adventures, which is a, a kind of a camp in downtown Boston for kids that are, you know, urban living and they're able to explore other parts of Boston. On top of that, um, you sometimes go and volunteer at some of these charities, uh, nothing to do with the Polar Plunge. I know with Camp Sunshine, you've spent some time up there. Uh, Obviously, you volunteered your time, but what do they have you do and how could you help out even in the smallest way? Yeah, that to me is a very interesting component because putting the effort in uh, raising funds is great. You know, you can raise money, but like, put it. I went to Camp Sunshine, and that's it's not a close close ride. I actually didn't know anybody else who was going up there. Um, I at the time I was not comfortable as a camp counselor. It was for a bereavement week, which meant that the families were there with all the families that were going to the camp that week had lost a child. And as a new person to the camp, I di- I didn't think I had the the wherewithal to you know, be helping out in that capacity. But from an equal importance, I worked on the maintenance. I was working with, uh, with you know, we'd, we built a hockey arena for kids in the winter. And it was, it was quite awesome. I, was the only, I stayed on campus. They let me live on, on the campus for the three days I was up there volunteering. And it was, it was remarkable. And tell people uh, what Camp Sunshine is and what they do. Yeah, so Camp Sunshine is a free camp. Uh, good question, because a lot of people might know the name. Camp Sunshine is a free camp for children and families of life-threatening illnesses. So each week kind of specializes in a particular illness. And so it's great because, and as I said, it's free. The child that does have this illness can see other children that are equally challenged with a similar situation, let's just say. And then it's also cool because the families get to hang out with each other. And, you know, you could talk to another sibling and say, oh, geez, what's it like to have your sister or brother in this situation? And it's just, it's an endearing uh, opportunity. And it's up in Maine and people come from all over the country. I'm not even sure it could be all over the world, but it's, it's a great opportunity and a great environment. So that, that was a thrill for me to be at least part of this charity or part of this nonprofit uh, by going up and helping out for a few days I was up there. But then, as mentioned earlier, uh, raising funds for them for nine years was pretty cool. And all that volunteerism and all the funds that come in charitably go towards that. So uh, wonderful program. Yeah. I feel really, really good. And I use the term helpers high because I think that it's just something that it's hard to describe. And when I do it, I feel great. And that was 
part of the impetus for a project I had run when I was in graduate school. At Babson College, we had an opportunity to run a program, and, and I talked to my friends who run the uh, business, the brewery, Harpoon Brewery. And we kind of thought, hey, there's a bunch of people that were drinking craft beer, and this is, you know, the early 2000s. There weren't nearly as many craft beers out. And we said, hey, you know, there's a lot of people that like drinking beer but like helping others. And we kind of nailed it. We, we helped design a, a um, Harpoon Helps group of people that were dedicated drinkers but also dedicated to helping out the community. And honestly, I, that's one of the things I'm most proud of is that Harpoon is still to this day using it a very strange situation when they when Harpoon started their their slogan was to brew and to serve and I always loved that I thought that was a cool slogan and then they stopped that and it was love beer love life and I was always a little upset and it turns out after the implementation of this Harpoon helps charitable side of their company they had then reintroduced the to brew and to serve and I thought oh wow like the double entendre was just really really cool that I didn't know that's why I liked the the slogan originally and and the stuff that Harpoon Helps has done to uh, bring Christmas decorations and cheer to a lot of local nonprofits and decorate their their locations and help out with gift giving and gift cards. Uh, at one point, it was all the way out to Texas. Uh, there were volunteers helping out. So that, to me, was really cool. And to see people, like, it would sell out. Like, volunteers would want to get in to be the first 500 people that could help. And it was just, it was a great, great opportunity and, and quite proud to see that it's still going on. So when you left New Jersey, now you came up to New England to go to school, correct? Yes, Providence College. Friar. Yep. And then you settled in the Boston area, yep. uh, job-related, I assume? Uh, in search, job search-related. Okay. Girlfriend, girlfriend-related, too. Ah, <laughs> there's always that. And so what did you do when you first got here, charity-wise? How did you uh, get started up here? Yeah, so let me backtrack a little bit to Providence College. Um, best, you know, One of my best friends at, at school Maddie, uh, he and I had a lot of similar interests where we liked helping other people. Uh, it just, again, helped us out. But we also liked getting out and about. So not a lot of guys are waking up early Saturday mornings to go help out others. And he and I would put on our, you know, our shit kicker boots and our flannel shirts and would, would go help out at Habitat for Humanity. And it was really cool. Like, we, we didn't know what we were doing. Like, we barely, you know, we didn't know if it was a left-handed or right-handed screwdriver at the time. But we would go help and would learn stuff. And Matt and I would be put in charge of putting the, the lath on this ceiling. And like, turns out when we're done, we did it wrong. But like, we learned what not to do now. But it just, you know, would, would work a full day and would get back to campus at like two o'clock or three o'clock on a Saturday. And most people are kind of waking up or doing their thing. And we just, it just really made us feel really good. So that, that was kind of the impetus. As I mentioned, high school, I did Habitat for Humanity. That was what started it. Then in college, Matt and I just did this. It wasn't every Saturday for sure, but it was, you know, probably once every other month. Really quite enjoyed that. Then moving up here to Boston, I didn't know a lot of people, and that was a thing I did. I, I would help out with Habitat for Humanity, and it was really cool. Again, maybe curiously, I just wanted to learn. You know, I, I don't know a lot about house building or repairs, but I didn't need to. I was, a, I was a renter at the time. But it was quite cool seeing some of the experts. And the weekends were great because they were busy, but I would periodically I would take a Wednesday off of work because that's when the, you know, the tradesmen would go and volunteer a day. So... Yeah, it was just great because it'd be working with a, you know, a trade plumber or a, you know, a union carpenter, and learning from them was quite cool. But then also, often you'd be working with a resident and Habitat for Humanity at the time, the resident who would be moving in had to put in sweat equity um, and put in a certain amount of like 500 volunteer hours, and it's a very different story when you're there with volunteers on a Saturday morning and it's a group of people from a church or from a town, um, as opposed to working with someone who is underprivileged and having a, a challenging time. 
and you know we're literally building their house. So some great times in some you know gritty areas of Boston that I never would have been to had it not been for these uh, occasions. And yeah, some of the stories I have from from co-working with them, if you will, to build their house it was great. And we were we were putting together a kitchen, and I remember the woman said, "Oh, when Thanksgiving's red, Kenny, you got to come and have Thanksgiving over here." And I was like, oh, "That's wonderful." And you know, she and another friend of hers and I went out to lunch, and boy, I would. There, there are not a lot of Ken-looking people at this uh, at this restaurant, and they were just so phenomenally fun. And like, come on, we got to get you some good stuff here, country fried chicken, and, and it was just, they were wonderful. And, and like, uh, I had such a great memory. And that hell, that was like twenty plus years ago, and they were just so endearing. They were grateful for me helping, but we just felt like buddies. And uh, that was a really cool memory. I feel like, and, and you know, I wish them the best with whatever they're doing now. Lotsofmaps.com. Vintage, local, national, and world maps for an affordable price. 99% of our maps are $25 or less. Great as gifts. Frame them or put them under glass for your home, vacation home, or as a memory of a special place. Lotsofmaps.com. So I know a lot of these charity programs, you're raising funds. Uh, Not all of them, but certainly some of them. um, You're raising funds to try to help out a, a charity. I assume most of them, you're getting your friends to donate, uh, you know, a certain amount of money to help you with your goals. How do you do that? It's, you know, it, it's hard to ask other people to contribute, you know, over and over again, especially. I mean, you you do it constantly, and although it's good works, you know, I'm sure it comes to a point where people are just like, man, you just asked me for money, you know, two months ago for something else. So how, how are you able to do this over and over again and... Uh, and still be able to come up with a fair amount of funds without pissing off your friends? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. I think uh, just to kind of establish, I don't do many fundraising events other than the Polar Plunge. So okay. that does help me out in that capacity where it's always, it's right after Christmas and it doesn't take a long time to make someone aware of what I'm doing. So I don't have to, you know, knock on their door and, you know, on, in August and say, hey, I'm doing this, this is January 1st. Um, because I've done it so many years, people... I don't say they expect it, but they're not shocked when they get my email. Right. And there are lots of friends that are like, okay, whatever, Kenny, I'm here. Here's the hundred dollars. Like, so they don't, I don't say they don't care, but it, the charity is not a concern for them. They know I'm doing something that's for good. They don't have to read into, you know, they don't, they know I vetted it. So that is kind of funny that people are just like, I, on my emails that I send to them, I try to give a description. I've been doing this for, you know, almost 20 years. And if they don't want to read this, just click on the link and people will just, okay, click on the link or... You know, people will even ask, hey, are you doing the plunge? In fact, I had three people ask me this year, are you doing the plunge? I want to send a check. I said, I, I, you know, I kind of bailed on it this year. You know, I was doing something else. So they're, you know, I'm hoping these people save the money, invested it for next year. But I think telling people what I'm doing makes it more real than just asking for the money. It's, as I said, and we talked about it earlier, it's not the money necessarily. It's making the awareness. So if someone can give, you know, $6, that's great. That's six more dollars than this charity may have had prior to me asking. But now you know that, oh my gosh, like there's a charity that does this and helps out, you know, homeless kids, or it's a home for, you know, children that have lost, you know, a parent or a camp where, you know, people have lost, kids have lost a sibling or lost a parent. So there's a lot of things out there that we just don't know because we don't need to know. And, you know, we've been very, very fortunate to have very privileged lives that we haven't had perhaps, you know, some tragedies. And there are many other people that, that have had these tragedies and therefore can benefit from this. So if I can make you aware, if I can make other people aware and 
something happens within their network, they can then alert that person in their network. Hey, I do know about this camp or this you know school or this whatever. So, so uh, basically, the message is anyone could do this, uh, raise some funds without worrying about how much they really raise. It's really about awareness, and if you can make a few bucks, great for you know for the charity. That's great. Obviously, we want to get our listeners to. To go volunteer and to maybe raise some funds for some charities. So we want to make it look as easy as possible. And it sounds like that's the case. Yeah, I, I would say th- the hardest part for me when I do my Polar Punch is finding which charity I want to do it for. I mean, there's plenty of charities. You, you could Google anything nowadays and say local Boston children's fundraising, you know, and whatever you find, there's there's a million different things. And it's great. Just bringing the fact that there are so many things that I don't know about, and I'm doing this quite a bit, makes me think that many of my friends in my network are unaware of that as well. So, yeah, raising awareness, raising some funds is great. I thought of another one of the charities that I work for. Uh, Team Impact was unbelievable. College teams that adopt a child, if you will, and uh, the child is now a teammate of theirs for the whole season, and it's nationwide. It's unbelievable they they bring the child into practices and they're the child is you know part of the team they've got a a shirt a you know jacket whatever they are on the team and it's just amazing to see the benefit of these you know these buddies whatever it was 20 years ago started this team impact and uh they just all kind of had the same idea and it was really really cool so that was another one of the uh, charities that i worked with that you know had i not known about it or not searched for it, I wouldn't have known about it. And now I see it everywhere. It's really, really cool and very powerful. Now, you weren't able to do this year's Polar Plunge, you said, because you were traveling. But I know that you weren't just traveling. I know it was uh, work-related, but uh, you were also giving of your time to a, a situation where people really needed help. Even though you were being paid for it, that was part of your, your gig, I know what you were doing was was good work for for people. Uh, can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, and as you said, yeah, I, I kind of skipped out of the polar plunge, but I hope for for good and not for bad, for evil. Um, I was given an opportunity early to mid October. A Native Hawaiian organization started by my brother and my cousin, Krilla Kalaivahea, K two, NHO dot com, um, <laughs> had invited me to partake in helping assess the properties of the Maui wildfires. Mm. So um, if you recall back in August, there were August of 2023, there were wildfires in Maui that destroyed an enormous amount of properties. Um, something in the line of over 1,600 plots and over 2,200 structures were destroyed. And, and lives were lost too. Over 100 people were, were um, yeah, had, had perished in the wildfire and still a few people are missing. And over 7,000 people were homeless. And over 6,000 still are. So I didn't even know that this existed. I remember the wildfires, but, you know, we're on the East Coast for 5,000 miles away, and it hit the news for, you know, two weeks. And I felt, I felt very badly that I didn't recall until my brother brought it up to me and said, hey, we'd love for you to, to um, you know, help us out with this. And I jumped at the opportunity. It was a massive change in my lifestyle. I was, you know, I had four days or five days to get my stuff together and fly over there. And it was emotionally draining. It was a lot of difficult work, not heavy lifting, but just seeing all that devastation was just uh, mind-numbing. I've seen houses, I've seen a house fire, I've seen the destruction of a house fire, but this was everything. It was just 
wildly de- uh, devastated. So helping out there was was really cool. It wasn't just doing my job and then going back to my room. We had the fortune of staying in a hotel, but we met many residents of the Lahaina that were living in the hotel, and we met cultural monitors, people that are locals, and it it was great. I felt like part of the community, and that, again, as I said, that's really what makes it valuable for me is being part of the solution and helping others. So, yes, to your point, it was a paid gig, no, no question about that, but it was, you know, I, I think there there were other gigs I could have done that were, you know, very different, and this one just had a life-changing impact for me, for sure, and I've got the, the benefit of actually heading back there uh, mid-February, I'll be working on phase two, which is the debris removal part of the same project. So what were you doing in the first uh, first trip? Yeah, so uh, my job was, uh, my team, they were, we were QCs, so we were quality control on the assessment of all these properties. So as I said, over 1,600 plots uh, were devastated. So we checked the assessment. Uh, there were experts in each of these different fields was asbestos to see, you know, the the amount of asbestos in the properties, and if there was, we had to abate it as well as uh, household hazardous materials, batteries, propane tanks, munitions. Um, and then the other one was trees. You know, there were hazardous trees that were certainly not safe anymore. So those were the three major things we were identifying in each property, building a digital map. And then on that digital map, the next phase, which is the debris removal, will know how to, you know, remove the ash and the other you know, debris that's within there. So the, the one part, the, the asbestos, would be removed prior to that, so it's so it's safer for the debris removal. So um, yeah, it was just a very interesting th- project, and the, almost everyone I worked with was just so passionate about, you know, helping others and getting Lahaina back to where they were and rise up again. So very challenging work from an emotional standpoint, but very very rewarding. Unlike I would say anything else I've worked on. Yeah, and uh, even though you were being paid, it just shows that you you try to do things that are going to help people that need it, which I, I give you tons of credit for. Um, Thanks. Yeah, really amazing stuff. Can you give me some more examples of how you've kind of given your time to others? Do you have anything else you might want to talk about? Yeah, sure. Um, interestingly, there, there are opportunities all over the place, and it's just a matter of kind of finding them. As a graduate from Babson, from their MBA school, um, they had an opportunity after you know, as alumni to come back and coach some of the undergrads and coaching from a professional standpoint. So people that had been working in industries uh, would come back and help coach these kids on their communication skills, their listening skills, their ethics skills, decision-making. It, it was quite amazing. So, you know, and there's brilliant students at Babson. There was a freshman class that we would work with, like their freshman year and then also their junior year. So um, I would go back, I think they had them on Thursday nights, I would do it twi- like two Thursday nights for freshmen and then Tuesday, Thursday nights for juniors later in the year. And it was just, it was remarkable. The kids were very, very appreciative to have like an adult that wasn't a teacher, wasn't their parent, talk to them about things. So that was just, you know, the opportunity was there and I, I did it for probably 15 plus years. Um, sadly, the program had ended, but I found it, again, you know, you're helping out other people. And it was just really, it was a very cool feeling. A great opportunity that was just kind of, I don't want to say thrown into my lap, but it was it was available. I just never really, you could take advantage of things that are that are available to you or you cannot. And I think, sadly, more people don't reach out and do those things. But it was a remarkable program to be uh, involved with, for sure. So I, I know that, you know, you were alumni at the time. How did you find out about this program? Did they come knocking to alumni and, and sort of knocking on your door and saying, hey, we need some volunteers to, to help out kids? Or was this something you actually looked to do? 
something for the school or some something for the the students. Well, I'll tell you. Um, I wish it. I wish it was a better story. <laughs> um, they, you know, as an alumni of any school, uh, there's a an, often a knock on the door for, "Hey, could you help us out with some uh, funds, or donation?" And I always said, like, "Oh, as soon as my uh, my tuition's paid off, I'll I'll uh, donate." But this turned out to be a better opportunity because it wasn't. There was no money exchanged. You know, I'd rather give the time and let other people, you know, give the money, and that's always been my purpose. So, you know, I'd give a Thursday night, and it was after work. I'd have to leave work maybe at 4.30. So I'd take a little bit of time off of work, but then I'd come back and, you know, be there till 11, 11.30 at night. And I just felt inspired at the end of the night. So that was, I guess the school was asking me, but it was also because I was not interested in donating the money. That's, if you think about all the things I've just talked about, I haven't been the one giving the money away. I've been the one who's kind of working it. So with my polar plunge, I always say, let me be crazy. Let you guys be generous. Right. I generally don't give money to these causes because I'm incorporating that. Now, I, I usually try to make it an even number at the end of the day, but I, I feel like, you know, the money is not always the most important thing. And that's where the, you know, the awareness um, comes back to. So um, hope that, hope that makes it clear. Yeah. And, and actually that's a great point because I know a lot of these things that you do, especially the ones where you're raising funds for them, you know, you think when you're doing that, you think, oh, I got to come up with X amount of dollars, but uh, they don't usually put any pressure on you to raise X amount of dollars, right? So you're, you're just going to raise whatever you can raise. And to your point, it's not like you're giving the money. It's others giving the money. You're just doing what you got to do with your time, your efforts, and uh, and your network that you have currently, right, to uh, to reach out to those folks? Yeah. Like me? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> and you, you know, obviously you've been generous uh, in, and with your time as well. So don't, let's not forget that every video that I have or most videos I have have uh, been helped and generated by you as well. <laughs> no, I think the benefit of what I'm doing is there's no, I can't do it wrong. Right. I'm contacting a nonprofit. They don't know who I am. They just know that I'm saying, hey, I'm this knucklehead that wants to you know, jump in the ocean January 1st and I'll raise you some money and, and I want to let them be the beneficiary. And they probably scratch their head like, oh God, what is, what is this dude doing? And when it turns out, I mean, I've, I've got some really, really generous friends. And again, going back to the Lions Club, they have been remarkably generous. They see my passion and they've been generous to help me out year in and year out with, you know, sizable donations to whatever the cause is. And they, they know that I vetted the cause, but I speak to the board of um, directors and I alert them in December at the board meeting that what I'm planning on doing January 1st. And I think they are, they've always been very, very generous. Um, so, I mean, I mean, that's amazing. It's one charitable organization giving to another. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's what the Lions Club does because we, we help out local charities and they know that I'm putting the efforts in to help out another local charity. So it's, it's kind of neat. I also, when we're done selling the Christmas trees, a lot of the guys, we get together and kind of have our, our last night of celebration for the trees are gone. And, uh, it's always one of those that, hey, just so you guys know, you're welcome to join me, you know, for the polar plunge. And the answer is always like, I'd rather pay. So that's the polar <laughs> plunge is a, is kind of a nice uh, opportunity because I always say you're you're totally welcome to join me. The ocean's huge; it's plenty of room, and most people choose to. Eh, here's ten bucks. Here's twelve bucks. Uh, Twenty bucks. Hundred bucks, and that that works for them better. And that's great. I mean, you scare them away from the temperatures and just the description of actually plunging in, and force them to give instead. That's wonderful. You're diving into the ocean. Uh, what kind of temperatures and what kind of situations? Yeah. So many people are not fond of, you know, Boston winters. 
probably 99.9% of the people never think about swimming during Boston winters. So um, we've had some brutal January 1st. We've also had, you know, a 55 degree day where we're throwing a Frisbee around on the beach. So uh, not too, too damaging. But uh, I'll tell you the, the three worst years I could think of. One year, uh, I think about nine years ago, when we had major storms. I had pneumonia. So I, I went January 1st to meet my friends. Uh, I did not plunge because I, I had pneumonia. I had promised all my loved ones that I was not going in. So I wore my suit. Uh, I, you know, I'm sorry. I wore my one-piece winter suit to the plunge, watched everybody else plunge, and said, okay, I promise you I'm going February 1st. I'm, I'm postponing it a month. Turns out um, between that January 1st and that February 1st, we had about... 30 inches of snow. You might remember, Andy, because you were there. Yes, um, was. There was There was a path shoveled from the bathhouse to the ocean with you know, through the two feet of snow. Also, it happened to be the Boston, I'm sorry, the uh, New England Patriots were in the Super Bowl that day. So I kicked off my February 1st, just a brutal, brutal morning. It, it wasn't so bad. I mean, the temperature wasn't bad, but there was just a ton of snow. And I remember you and Dana having your down jackets on yelling at me to like, hurry up. And I thought, I'm in a, I'm in a swimsuit. So that was challenging. One of the the most challenging days was a, a January 1st that was, was negative one when I got to Boston. It was brutal. And the Elstree Street Brownies had taken precautions to make sure that we didn't do anything too stupid. We all had to have sneakers. We all had to have hats when we got out. Um, and there were, there were many, many, many fewer people yeah, plunging sure. that day. And it was funny because people were walking very slowly into the water and the first four feet of, of the bottom of the water. So the sand in the ocean was frozen. So it was ice. So people that walked in slowly could not get back out. And I don't have to describe the, <laughs> the scene of a Southie beach on January 1st, but there's a... Google search it, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so um, not necessarily what you want to see um, first thing in the morning on January 1st. But um, it was a fun time. Um, it was cold and went in and out. But the worst day was actually a, a, a warm nine degrees, but it was like 25 mile an hour winds. And the wind is what was mm. absolutely brutal. And our, our friend Jim Laughlin has plunged several times with me and his brother Tom as well. Uh, but I remember going back to the Life is Good retail store and we'd have some hot chocolate and things like that. Uh, and my fingers were just cold for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it sounds like, as I say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous, but I've been able to raise Andy over 20 years. If I'm raising 4,000, I mean, yeah, it's probably getting close to a hundred thousand dollars I've raised for, for doing this. So it's, it's a lot of money. So, sure um, is. So I've been, you know, let me be cold. Let me be freezing for a day. I'm not dead yet. So I'm going to keep doing it. And it just, it makes me feel great. So you know, Dana, Dana has been by my side most years. You've been there helping out uh, with video. And it's just, it's great because I think because I have the video evidence, um, I send that out after the polar plunge and people get to see it and say, God, this guy is nuts. And then I get, you know, more donations afterwards as well. So it's, uh, I think people feel like they're part of the network. Uh, even though they didn't plunge, they get to the, tell the story about this guy that's a knucklehead they know who plunges every year. A little bit of a side note, I've met some really great people there, you know, people that have done it for years as well. And uh, it's neat. Some people just do it because that's their genesis for the new year. This is how I'm going to start. I'm washing away last year. I'm starting off brand new. And, you know, I've met people that are recovering alcoholics that I've just chatted with. They say, oh, they're going to make it a great year. Okay, great. And Dan and I went there and just kind of plunged in and met a, a great guy that he had never done it before. He was just going to jump in, and we, we ended up taking a picture together because he's like, oh, my gosh, you've done it that many times. And, you know, it's – I don't know if it's good or bad to say I've done it that many times, but it's just – it's a dedication to helping others, and that truly makes me feel good. 
So I'm sure, you know, there are lots of ways to find charitable work or charitable uh, opportunities for yourself or even just uh, not charitable, but even just volunteering. Do you go out of your way to find these and, and how do you find these charities or is it that they've gotten wind to you and they're starting to search you out at all? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a funny question. No, nobody, nobody's looking for me. Um, <laughs> I have had um, some charities that I've worked with uh, in the past that have said, oh, are you doing it for us again? And you know, the, the answer is no. I, I generally don't want to repeat because my goal, as mentioned earlier, is to raise awareness. So the funds are great, um, but raising awareness is very important. I think on that same note, I like around you know Thanksgiving timeframe finding a charity or if I, I hear something in the news during you know during the year it's not that I'm looking for the charity it's I'm looking for an audience that needs help right so I found out someone's has lost a child that there's a charity that could help out in that capacity great or you know someone who's lost a sibling um, as a young child, that's like there are other charities that can help out in that capacity. So when I hear things like, oh, I didn't know that these tragedies happen to other people, it kind of clicks with me and I just try to help out where I can. Another charity I've worked with, a, a good friend of mine is a musician and his child was challenged with cancer as, at a very young age. And God, I mean, the challenges this guy had, he's got twin daughters and one had cancer and uh, they both had, you know, the, the one who was Stricken with cancer was challenged, and the one who wasn't felt guilty. And thank goodness his child with cancer is now cancer-free and, you know, doing great. But he created a charity, uh, and he, you know, works with inner-city kids that have never heard live music before. So he'll go around to schools. And I was fortunate enough to help out his charity one year. And it just, you know, he'll go to schools where kids, English is perhaps their second language, and live music was not a thing they'd ever seen. And he just plays acoustically and has songs and it's wonderful to see him do his work. So that's, you know, that's an interesting one that I never thought was, Oh, you know, these poor kids have never heard live music that didn't click until I found out about it. And then another, another one is a camp for, you know, children that have lost parents and you know, it devastating. I've gone back to that camp a couple of times to be a counselor and it's, you know, the, the other counselors and the professionals in the counseling and therapy world have said, I'm great, but, Man, is that a tough, a tough job to work with kids that have lost someone, and we're and they're little kids. I mean, you know, death is not too particular in how how it happens. So uh, some of these kids are really young, or the things that they've seen or witnessed is just really challenging. And I've had a very fortunate life, but you know, I like to be able to help out as I can. And and those weekend camps are tough, and I, I know I've probably talked to you about them as well. And it's just it's emotionally draining, but you just feel so good for helping out and knowing uh, perhaps I've made a difference in these kids' lives. So that's always a goal. That's great. So how do you physically find these places that if you know nothing about them, how do you find them? It's interesting. It, some have fallen in my lap because of a news article I've heard. There was a documentary on the Boston Marathon bombing, and I found out about you know the family of those brothers, and that... I just contacted them. So that's how that one worked. That was, um, it just seemed like it, it was the right one to do for me that year. Then other ones, I will just search certain terms, whether it's, you know, I'll Google children as a beneficiary of a charity and just, you know, you, you go down a wormhole sometimes of different things, but you start to narrow them down and identify what exactly it is you're looking for. So I generally don't like to find um, like the Red Cross or the Jimmy Fund, they, they're all remarkable 
charities, but you know, I don't want to make a small splash in a big pond. I want to make a big splash in a small pond. And that's really the way I go. So most of the time when I mention raising awareness, it's because they're not the Red Cross. It's because they're not, you know, the Jimmy Fund. People haven't heard of many of these places. So it is uh, a challenge to get the word out about these charities. So when I find something that a charity that I can get behind and also really rally my network, I think that's probably the easiest way for me. And that's not the same recipe for everybody else's success. I think, you know, you've got to find something that you're really passionate about. And for me, helping out kids is, is tremendous. And I, you know, I do a little bit of that on my, my side hustle too, work with kids and it's just great. So being able to work with them at camps and work with these, um, charities, a lot, a lot of the nonprofits I've actually worked with, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I've worked with them and spent time at their locations too. So it's not like, you know, charities can't use your help. Clearly all charities are looking for help. It's not, it's not like you're, you're going to ever be turned away. I imagine that's never happened. So, I mean, the message sounds to me like it's just ask if you're, you're interested in helping, just ask them if they could use your help. Yeah. I mean, often these small charities are overwhelmed because they, they have just a few volunteers working the desk or the phones. So I would say be persistent and eventually you know, a phone call. I, I generally send an email and then follow up with a phone call because I want them to have all the information of what I'm doing. But yeah, to your point, if you want to help out, it could be any capacity. You can pick up phones. You can you know work around the property. You could just, if you have something that you're really passionate about and you want to help out, but you're you know, a landscaper, maybe go to that facility and see if you could cut the lawn or help them out plant flowers. You know, just use your brain and be creative because I think people are genuinely happy to get help, but they're also really, really interested in telling their story too. And if they can tell their story to some additional person and that could help, that's the name of what they're trying to do. You had mentioned that you had done some skating for charity when you were young. Any other things that you've done to raise money other than that and polar plunging? <laughs> Yeah, sure. I mean, I've done a bunch. The skate-a-thons were kind of my introduction to fundraising. And um, that was cool, you know, being a little kid roller skating and having friends show up to raise money for juvenile diabetes was, was kind of cool. Um, since then, and I think a lot more popular events are, you know, 5Ks, charity 5Ks. I, right out of grad school, a classmate of mine had sadly lost his father. And we didn't really know why. We didn't question it until about the summer later. And he said... Yeah, my father had died by suicide. And we said, oh, what? And, you know, we became very, very aware of, whoa, what is this? So, you know, it was just a bunch of classmates that did this 5K. So it was a, for the Samaritans. And uh, Samaritans is a great organization. And we did it. And the next year, I have a bunch of friends that are, like, really strong runners and, like, f- like track stars in college. And I was, hey, you guys want to do it? And, like, we showed up with <laughs> the... The top five runners, four of them were from our team. And it was like, oh, like these guys are incredible. There were no prizes. It was just fun to do that. So, yeah, we've, you know, I've done some charity runs. Uh, my friend Becca Peasy's got uh, a charity run she does in Belmont. And uh, she's a, a world-renowned you know, distance runner, a marathoner, and an ultra-marathoner. Um, so I've, I've worked with, with her, helping her race. Uh, in fact, we did a, a relay race from Cape Cod to... Uh, Boston Common for Memorial Day, and I was I was actually the driver in the car, so it's about a hundred miles, which is not a long car ride. But if you're going at the pace of a runner, it's a long car ride. So uh, we started at like six in the evening down in Chatham, and we got up to the 
Boston Common around, I don't know, 11 in the morning. It was, it was an incredible race, and it was neat to be part of this group of you know, ultramarathoners, and these guys would get out and do six to eight-mile legs and just run and run and run. And so that, you know, again, that's kind of volunteering, but it was just, it's my network, and it was fun. I've also had the pleasure of being in the Harpoon Five Miler. I've been involved all 20 years that they've been doing this, and the first year I did it, you know, I know it's called the Five Miler, but I showed up, and I was like, oh, I thought when I got by mile three, I was like, where are we doing? Oh, it's five miles. So I thought it was a 5K. So that's on me, I suppose. But um, yeah, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a good runner. I, I just do it because it's a great group of people. And the, again, it's the camaraderie. I would never run five miles on my own. That seems ridiculous. But, um, you know, when there's people in front of you, it's just always like, hey, I want to just get past this guy. And, and, you know, the charity that Harpoon has been raising funds for is ALS research and it's the funds are just unbelievable what they've done and the research it's a good group of people as i said being in it for 20 years kind of makes me one of the the ogs and it's it's nice to just kind of continue helping others in in this capacity for sure ken do you have any advice for folks that want to really get involved but really don't know where to start i know you've mentioned how you started but you know any advice for folks that want to do this yeah I i don't think there's a a perfect way to do it. I, I think one is having the interest. And if you're interested, it's easy. You know, you find something you're passionate about, whether it's helping kids, whether it's helping at an um, animal shelter, whether it's helping at a senior center, and then make a call, ask them. Um, if you don't know who you want to help, if you not have a specific entity, um, you can, you know, look at your community, um, whether it's churches or synagogues or, you know, service organizations, Ask what they're doing. There's always, always volunteer opportunities. And it doesn't have to be working Thanksgiving morning at a soup kitchen. They certainly need help, but every, you know, every day they need help at a soup kitchen. So you could do something that's a smaller take. But also, you don't have to make it a major, major change in your life. It could be something small. Starting off small is great. You might find out this is not your jam and you really prefer fundraising or giving, you know, donations. But you might find out this is something that's really special to you. Uh, a lot of uh, companies will now offer days off if you want to volunteer or you know, your donations can be doubled by your company. So there's a lot of ways to be involved that you might not have to get your hands dirty or be intimately involved with the charity. So there's a lot of different ways to get uh, involved, I guess, is really the point. And if you want to put the effort in, it's easy enough. Uh, Ken, it's been a pleasure. Ken Krilla, a professional volunteer. I'm putting professional in quotes because uh, you generally don't get paid for most of this stuff, but, you know, professional all the way as far as uh, how you handle these things. Volunteering, charity work, uh, just helping buddies out. I know you do a lot of that stuff. I've I've called you many times. Thank you so much for, for being on uh, Occupations. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Please tune in for another episode. Occupations has been brought to you by lotsofmaps.com. Please follow Occupations the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to find information about our next episode or to see what past episodes are available.